You're listening to Pastor Rory Rogers as he teaches through the book of Romans. If you have your Bibles ready, let's join him now. We'll begin reading at verse 13 this morning. Romans 8, 13. And once you're there, let's go ahead and stand as we read through verse 30. We won't be studying all the way through verse 30, but want to just get some idea of the context. It says, uh, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. For we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the hearts knows what the minds of the Spirit is, because he makes intercession for the saints in according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for good, to those who love God and those that are called according to his purpose, for whom he foreknew he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. Let's pray. Lord, as we um, look at this text um, just the, the glorious truths that are in it, God, as we look at the sonship that we have by the Spirit, as we look at the suffering that we go through with the Spirit, Lord, as we look at the splendor that we're given because of the Spirit, Lord, we just pray that you would just encourage our hearts Lord, give us a mind that could realize and comprehend the depth of the Father's love towards us. Lord, in the weeks to come, Lord, give us minds that could comprehend your sovereignty and how you work behind suffering. And Lord, as we look at the glory that's revealed in us because of you, Lord, we pray that we'd be mirrors reflecting all the glory right back to you. 
It belongs to you, Lord. Lord, we just pray that your Holy Spirit would just bring insights into people's hearts. You know what every man and woman is struggling with here. You know what every man and woman is worshiping here, what may not be worshiping you. And Lord, we pray you convict us of our sin. And as verse 29 just said, that we might be conformed to the image of your son. Let us be more like Jesus by the time this sermon is up. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. There are a few extreme examples of heirs awaiting their inheritance. Some people call it luck. Others just say it's being born under the right circumstances. No matter your stance on the subject, it's publicly becoming an interesting subject as people dive into the lives of famous heirs who are waiting to inherit more money, more fortune than any people, most people, could imagine spending in a lifetime. For example, Sam Bronson uh, is the son of Sir Richard Bronson. He's worth an estimated $3.8 billion and is the man behind the Virgin collection of companies like Virgin Records, Virgin Books, Virgin Atlantic Airways, Virgin Mobile, and Virgin Fuels. Sam, the son, is often seen hanging out with Hollywood celebrities and models, relaxing on his dad's 74-acre island titled Necker Island, no pun intended, I'm sure, and it remains to be seen just how much Sam will eventually be involved in his dad's business. You've got Charlene, maiden name Heineken. Charlene became the wealthiest woman in the Netherlands when her father, Alfred Heineken, passed away in 03. The heiress to the premium beer from Holland is worth more than $7 billion and is currently maintaining her dad's business operations. You've got the IKEA sons. IKEA is the world's premier supplier of affordable home furnishings, headed by Ingvar Kromft. IKEA is, in fact, the world's largest furniture retailer, generating $28.8 billion per year in worldwide sales. His three sons are expected to inherit tens of billions of dollars while they currently sit on the company's executive board. One more, Ivanka Trump. Uh, the daughter of Donald Trump, stands to inherit her father's undisclosed amount of personal wealth and his real estate and entertainment assets. She's already the vice president of the real estate development and acquisition of the Trump organization. Her brother Donald Jr. and, and her other brother Eric are executive vice presidents of the corporation, and the three will inherit most that the Donald leaves behind. And so uh, these are big inheritances. This is more than we could even imagine, probably more than, you know, we really should have. <laughs> and, uh, and yet, as we look at this scripture dealing with our adoption into the family of God, actually being called sons and daughters of God, we see that we're not only children, but we're also heirs. We're heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ. And this is so much more of a privilege, and this is so much more of a reward or more of an inheritance than any one of these kids could ever, ever imagine. And so let's dive into the text and look at this adoption, look at this inheritance today as we look at the sonship we have by the Spirit of God. A couple weeks ago, it was eight weeks ago actually since we were in Romans last 
uh, we studied in depth verse 13 and that practical principle of uh, mortifying sin in our lives as Christians, killing sin. Uh, we read there in verse 13 that if we live according to the flesh, according to the lusts of the flesh, the lusts of the eyes, and the pride of life, the result is death. But if by the Spirit of God, by the power of the Spirit, and what He's working in our hearts, we put to death this sin, strong language, King James Version says mortify, just speaks of absolutely cold-blooded murdering our sin, slaughtering it, having no mercy on it, because it will never have mercy on us. Then we will live, we will have life. You know, we read there, there's a kind of life that leads to death, and there's a kind of death that leads to life. And we kill sin, we bring about that death by believing in the blood-bought promises of Jesus Christ. And this opens up this new theme in the book of Romans here. It's a theme that we haven't yet seen, but now it's laid on thick and heavy, and that theme is our sonship by the Spirit of God. As you look at verse 14, it says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. In John chapter 1, verse 12, a verse we kind of looked at at Christmas time as we were in John 1, we read that as many as received Jesus, to them he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. As the Holy Spirit comes alongside of us, as we were out just doing our thing, he came alongside and convicted us of our sin, of his righteousness, and of the judgment to come. He told us, you can't make it on your own. You need a savior. Just believe on me. Receive the work that I have done at the, in my perfect life, my perfect death, and my perfect resurrection, and you will be made righteous. As you receive me, Jesus says, I'll give you the right to become sons of God, sons and daughters of God. And so here in Romans chapter 8, at this point, it's assumed that this has already happened in the reader's life. It should have happened by this point. You know, first of all, we receive the Lord Jesus. We're forgiven of our sins and we're born again. And then that begins the process of sanctification in our life. It's a lifelong process that happens little by little every day where we are conformed and molded and shaped to be more and more like Jesus. It happens throughout our whole life. And that begins here in verse 13. Part of that molding is the Holy Spirit identifying sin in our life. And then he wields us to kill that sin. <laughs> We don't wield him, he wields us. He's God. And he uses us to kill sin in our life. Every little form of temptation that creeps up, you squash it before it becomes an act. Every little act that's been happening, you kill it before it becomes a habit. Every little habit that you have seen that the Lord reveals to you, you kill it before it becomes your lifestyle, before it becomes your identity. And so by this point, assuming John 1.12 has already happened in the heart of the readers, and I ask you today, has it happened in you? Have you received Jesus? Have you been justified? 
Have you been in the courts of heaven declared righteous and innocent, not because of your works, Romans tells us, because it's not because of your works, but it's because of Jesus's works, his perfect works that he's already done. Have you received Jesus? Have you been born again? Once that takes place, he begins to kill that sin in your life. And verse 14 says that as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Now it's true that Christians have just divine guidance from the Lord in many aspects. You know, I know I wouldn't be in Prineville if it weren't for the guidance of the Lord. I wouldn't be teaching the Bible to you right now if it weren't for just the leading of the Lord throughout my life. But that's not really the context of what it's talking about here. The context is that those people that have the Holy Spirit in them identifying sin and then leading them to kill it, these are the sons and the daughters of God. Those that are mortifying the deeds of the flesh by the power of the Holy Spirit can know that they are the children of God. Now, we don't want to get the cart before the horse. We don't want to think that we're killing the flesh and that causes us to become sons and daughters of God, but rather we kill the flesh because, because is the key word I wanted you to know, uh, because we are sons and daughters of God. And so until you've been justified and until you've begun the process of sanctification, don't do anything with the spirit of God because he's not in you yet. But when he indwells you and you become born again, he then begins to sanctify you. And these two first principles are priority. Justification and sanctification beginning. Is sin being killed in your life? Those that are sons of God are chips off the old block. They'll have his spiritual DNA in them. They'll have his same likes, his same tastes, his same preferences, his same priorities. If you're a Christian, those things become yours. And one of those greatest priorities, as you look at the scripture, is that destruction of sin and the redemption of man unto himself. As John Owen, we quoted him a lot back in verse 13 a few weeks ago. John Owen, a 16th century um, Puritan, wrote the book on mortification other than the scriptures, uh, John Owen says, mortification is the soul's vigorous opposition to self. Is that going on in you? Is there vigorous opposition to self? We so often live for ourselves, don't we? It's the soul's vigorous opposition to self wherein sincerity is most evident. You know, there's a lot of people, especially in America, that say, I'm a Christian. I've got that religious title hung over my shoulders. I'm a Christian. And yet there's been no process in their life. There's been no fruit of the Spirit in their life in getting rid of the sin, in killing the lusts, in slaughtering the pride, in battling covetousness. And if there's no battle against sin, if there's no mortification... If it hasn't become the soul's vigorous opposition to self, then there's just a question of the sincerity of the proclaimer of Christianity. Is there mortification going on? It's super important. Owen goes on to say, as sin weakens, 
so it darkens the soul. It is a cloud, a thick cloud that spreads itself over the face of the soul and intercepts all the beams of God's love and favor. It takes away all sense of the privilege of our adoption. And if the soul begins to gather up thoughts of consolation, sin quickly scatters them. So man, even today, if you're walking in sin that hasn't been confessed, hasn't been repented, hasn't been dealt with and stabbed in the heart, then man, anything that the Lord is trying to work in you is being quenched. The beams of glory that would be shooting out of your life and and as you're reflecting God's glory like a mirror, they're being just hampered and, and sucked down by the dark clouds of unrepented sin. And so let that Holy Spirit work through you to repent of your sin and to mortify that sin. Oftentimes people come in and they share that they doubt their salvation. And just one thing that I'll ask them is just, well, where, what is your heart towards your sin? Well, I don't even know if I'm saying, well, what's your heart towards sin? You know, is this sin that you're struggling with? Do you love it? You know, are you justifying it? Are you trying to work out ways in your mind that the sin can stay and it can cohabitate with Jesus in your heart and it can just, everything will be okay? You're in a dangerous place if you're dwelling and abiding with sin. You can't have two gods in your life. But if there's hatred towards that sin, if there's godly sorrow about that sin, as Paul tells us, godly sorrow brings about true repentance. Worldly sorrow, just getting caught, you know, or feeling guilty, That just brings about death. But even now, maybe you just want to ask the Lord, Lord, give me godly sorrow for the sin in my life, that I'd weep, that I'd mourn. I don't think it'd be so bad if we went back to, you know, the the sackcloth and ashes and ripping our garments, you know, rip and dust and dirt and tears making mud on your face. And what is wrong with you? I sinned against God, spat in Jesus' face after all he did for me. Not a bad practice, probably. Aaron will let you lead us in that um, one of these days. But if we have just a cavalier attitude towards our sin, it's not healthy. It's not good. And as Hebrews just exhorts us, man, ask the Lord to do a heart check. Ask the Lord to do a heart check. Is the Holy Spirit leading you in your battle against sin? Is he leading you to mortify it? John Owen, final quote from him. Don't be a hater. He's a pretty, pretty cool guy I've been learning from lately. He says, let not man thinks he makes any progress in holiness until he walks over the bellies of his own lust. In that battle, man, are you just stabbing sin in the stomach and just letting it drop at your feet? Is the Holy Spirit bringing victory over it? Is there mortification taking place? This is not a call to self-transformation or self-righteousness, but it's a call to do with the Holy Spirit of God who dwells in every Christian. It's a call to do what he has enabled you to do. Live in the power of God and in obedience to his word. So who are these sons of God? Is the leading just like, oh, God led me to Ireland or God led me you know, over here? Like, that's great that God does guide. Uh, But this leading that we're talking about, man, you can know you're a son of God as you look at the fruit of your life. And some of you can. You can just look back, man, you recognize a dark season in your life. 
where you were living for yourself. You were living for the passions of this world. You were living for pleasures and buzzes and rushes and highs. And the Lord said, you see this and you see this? You're exalting yourself. You're exalting it above me. Repent of it. Burn it. Unplug it. Crash it with a framing hammer. You know, just get rid of it. And you can say, God, you led me to do that. And you know, I still struggle with different sins and you're leading me how to kill those sins. And praise God, there's death to sin in my life. The concept of just sonship through the spirit goes on in verse 15. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. So a few different spirits that can be given us. We have one that uh, is given to the non-believer, to those that are trying to make it apart from Christ. And it is this spirit of bondage to fear. This is something that a servant feels. Some of the translations speak of slavery in this text. It's something a servant feels, never knowing if they're doing enough to please the master. It's fear of bondage, not even knowing if you are a son. And I go back to the passage, I think it's Genesis 16, where Abraham got outside of the promise of God and he made a baby with Hagar. He made a son with Hagar. And as that child was born, they named him Ishmael, which means God hears. Uh, and and uh, Sarah hated this boy and hated Hagar and she cast them out. And Ishmael and Hagar went out into the wilderness feeling unloved feeling unapproved until the angel of the Lord appeared and spoke hope and spoke blessing and spoke love and spoke promise into Ishmael's life, even saying, I hear you. I'm the God who hears. Placing, no doubt, in Ishmael's heart there, the spirit of adoption. It says that he walked with God, that God was with Ishmael, and you know what happens then is you get a whole different kind of fear placed in your heart. Not a terror like God's going to squash, squash you like a bug or hit you with a lightning bolt. But it's a fear of, I don't want to hurt my dad who went through so much to adopt me and who loves me so much and who pours into my life so much. I want to hate the things that he hates. I want to love the things that he loves. And that is the spirit that's poured out into the heart of the regenerate, born-again, saved individual. Those that have been justified, declared innocent by, by grace through faith. The spirit of adoption. By which we cry out, or excuse me, I always mess up there. It's actually not a by which we cry out. It's a by whom we cry out, where we see the personality of the Holy Spirit. He's a person. So often we think of him as a force. Let the force be with you. You know, yes, he will help me, or it will help me cry out, Abba, Father. You know, no, it's a person that helps you cry that out. Helps you cry out, Abba, Father. And if you're like me, so often you just read past that phrase. So Abba, Father, yeah, whatever. Let's move on to the next verse. But Abba, Father, is such a special phrase, a special title, a special term of endearment. And it really illustrates 
the great love that Jesus has for us that's available through Jesus. Uh, I was over in Israel about three weeks ago, and I was walking along the Mediterranean Sea by Tel Aviv, by Joppa. As I was walking, uh, there was a lot of people outside. It was starting to get warm over there. And there was a patch of grass over there by the ocean, by the Mediterranean. And uh, there was an Arabian family there playing soccer in the grass. And uh, it was just kind of fun watching them as we were walking by. And one of the little boys, probably nine years old, goes to kick the soccer ball to his dad. And he goes, Abba, Abba. And the dad had been turned around and he looks over at his son and his son kicks it as hard as he can and the dad traps it and stops it and you know it's just there was great cheer at the family and it was just so cool you know like I don't know a whole lot of Hebrew I don't know a whole lot of Greek you know but I know the word Abba and um and to hear it just in its use and to just get to see just the picture of the joy that comes from you know uh, having close intimacy and relationship with your dad it's a very special thing And so as we are adopted, the Holy Spirit who's in us enables us to shout out to the Lord, to cry out to the Lord, Abba or Father. And there's great intimacy in that. Let's look at Galatians 4.3. And it says, even so we, when we were children of God, excuse me, even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under, under the elements of the world. See that bondage there? But when the fullness of the time had come, at just the right time, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God, according and through Christ. Man, I love Galatians. It's like a mini Romans 8 there. You have all the elements of bondage and being under the law and trying to do it on your own. But at the perfect time, Jesus came to redeem and to purchase those slaves who were under the law that we could become adopted as sons of God The Holy Spirit comes into our hearts, verse 6, and we cry out, Abba, Father, we're adopted and we're given an inheritance. Now let's pause for a second and just think about how different Christianity is from all other religions. All other religions are works-based. Man trying to make his way to a God or to God's laboring and trying to hopefully earn God's approval that they might not be struck down. But we as Christians, we refer to our God as dad. As dad. You know, and sadly in this day and age, there's not a lot of good dads out there. Many of you in this room, you're like, that doesn't mean anything to me because my dad was, you know, deadbeat, never there, never faithful, didn't even ever tell me that he loved me. Man, I encourage you to read the Bible, read the New Testament, and just look for all those times where we see God as our Father, God's great love, God's great provision and tender care towards us. 
You know, what is it about Christianity that when the trials may come, or even when we sin and blow it, and we know that we've sinned against God, we can just fall to our knees, maybe beside our bed, or we can just stand even and come with confidence and say, Father, Dad, things are hard right now. I need your comfort. I need your provision. Lord, I even need your discipline. The context of Romans 8 demands that we understand that this is the normal, beautiful, exciting, privileged Christian life. A reality of sonship or daughtership with the Father. 1 John 3, 1, some of you know it from Sunday school days, it's a song. It says, behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us that we should be called the sons and the daughters of God. You guys know that song? It's a great round, you know, if the girls echo. Anyone want to do it? Okay. Maybe Stuart will do it afterwards. Adoption speaks of giving to anyone the name and the place and the privileges of a son who's not a son by birth. There's natural adoptions that we see in the scripture. Pharaoh's daughter adopted Moses. Mordecai adopted Esther. There's national adoption, how God adopted Israel. And then when they rejected Christ, we Gentiles were also adopted and we were grafted in to the children of God. There's spiritual adoption, an act of God's grace. And really, this is more where the Gentiles come in as grafting in an act of God's grace when he brings men, as Easton's Bible Dictionary says, he brings men into the number of his redeemed family. He makes them partakers of all the blessings he's provided for them. Adoption represents the new relations into which the believer is introduced by justification and the privileges connected therewith. An interest in God's peculiar love comes about. The possession of a spirit becoming children of God. We have present protection, comfort, fatherly correction, and a future glorious inheritance. I've just been trying this week to just put in my mind and just grasp what it, would, what it means to cry out to God, Abba, Father. Everyone here that's a guy is a son, right? Everyone here that's a gal is a daughter of somebody. And I'm a dad too. And so just thinking in my life, my dad passed away almost 11 years ago. And I never thought, you know, 11 years would ever come. I thought Jesus would come back first, but, you know, I still think he's coming soon. (laughs) And I just, man, sitting in my bed the last couple nights, I just kind of drifted asleep thinking of my dad. You know, he was such a faithful dad. He loved the Lord. I just kind of was thinking things, and and it's funny because it's the same thing that um, Easton's Bible Dictionary let us know. But I was thinking of my dad, and I thought of power. You know, he's a very large guy. He was very strong. He was very fit, and he just had this power about him. He had uh, just the ability to provide for our family. And, of course, that was God's grace providing through my dad. Uh, But never in want, never had to worry There was protection with my dad. 
uh, three-time state champion wrestler in high school and then wrestled for Washington State. And so just always knew that dad could just drop a guy, you know, if he needed to. And so just to know that comfort in my dad and the love that just my dad would show me physically, verbally, um, came across a birthday note from my dad the year that he died and just um, going to save that, you know, but he just spoke of, I wasn't able to be here for your birthday, your first year in college, but I just want you to know, like, I'll see you again. And, you know, I'm just like, I'm keeping that because that's applicable every birthday, but just the deep love, even the discipline that my dad lovingly gave me, the spankings that I got, the correction, the talks that we had on my bed of how I, I sinned and fell short of God's glory, but how much God loved me. And now to have a son that I get to provide for and I get to protect and I get to comfort when her, him or Lainey stub their toe or cut their leg or, you know, I just hold them. They haven't had any emotional trauma yet in their life. But, you know, except that Lainey hasn't been telling Russell that she loves him lately. That's really been bothering him. But just to hold them and comfort them and to instruct them, you know, in the gospel and to just think about those relationships. And, and maybe if you have never had those relationships with your kids or with your parents, think about just this is, this is what God intends for you with him. These qualities, these characteristics made available by what Jesus did. We get to cry out, Abba, Father, Dad. And if you ever doubt if you're really his son, verse 16 says that the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. As Galatians 4 said, that that's actually the Holy Spirit in us that cries out, Abba, Father. And have you ever taken that time? You know, it's a mark of the born again. It's the mark of the saved. Have you ever taken that time to just Talk to God as a father and not as like the king of the sea, you know, that holds a scepter or something like that, you know, but to think of him as your dad. I encourage you to do that as we close today. But the spirit bears witness. Now, a Roman adoption ceremony had some seven witnesses about. And, you know, it wasn't always the type of adoption we think of. It wasn't always like an orphan that was adopted. Sometimes it was just a faithful servant that a guy wanted to adopt and make him the heir of his house. And so they would have this ceremony. And sometimes it was comical, you know, where the actual biological dad would be there and have his son and present him to the, uh, you know, the adopting dad. And the dad would bring gifts. And it would start out like, I would like to adopt your son. And the biological dad would decline the adoption. And then he would bring a, a gift and he would still decline the adoption. And this happened about five times until the gift got bigger and bigger and bigger until finally he'd say, okay. And then this adoption would take place. And when this adoption took place, seven people bearing witness, uh, this, this young man or, or woman was uh, just as much son or daughter, just as much heir as any other child that the, that the individual had biologically. And, but a witness needed to be present. Seven witnesses, actually, in Roman culture. But here we read in verse 16 that the Holy Spirit is the witness. We only need one. And he bears witness in our hearts that this adoption has taken place. 
real quickly, you know, the Jew would never call God daddy. Would never call God dad or father or Abba. It just didn't happen. In fact, the Jew would barely ever write down God's name because they didn't want to spell it wrong and get zapped, you know, from lightning from heaven. And so this new concept to the Jew and to the Gentile of a God that loves, a God that sacrifices, a God that comforts, a God that forgives, a God that accompanies, you know, man, this is a beautiful, glorious good news. This is the gospel. He bears witnesses that that we're children of God in verse 17 And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. And so we see that this being a son or a daughter, it brings about this inheritance. We're inheriting all that God has. Legally, we're receiving all that God has and is. And you guys must not have heard me because this is actually very big information, I'm telling you. I want to hear some great like, whoa, okay, so I'm going to say it again. We are heirs, which means we legally receive all that God has. Okay, first service added a little bit louder, but there were more of them. So, yeah, that's a beautiful thing that we went from being at enmity with God, at war with God, sinners in rebellion against God. But he, because of his great love, which he loved us, came, sacrificed himself. His blood covers our sin and atones for our sin so that now we are friends of God. We are children of God. We are heirs of all that God has. And, you know, 1 Corinthians 2.9 tells us that I has not seen nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God's prepared for those that love him. We have a great inheritance coming. In John 14, Jesus says, you know, I'm going and I'm preparing a place for you. I'm going to come back. I'm going to take you to this place that I've been spending 2,000 years preparing, and it is going to be awesome. But you know what, guys? You know what the great inheritance is? It's not the giant a you know, mansion and apartment that we read of in Revelation that's, you know, giant. Uh, it's not riding on white unicorns like some of you picture heaven being for some reason. But this inheritance ultimately is just being with Jesus. Having relationship with God restored and seeing him face to face. You know, it's Genesis 1 and 2 all over again. Walking in the garden with God having communion face-to-face, being in his presence, knowing him, as 1 Corinthians 13 says, knowing him just as we are known. And if you're looking forward to any other aspect of heaven more than you're looking forward to just being with Jesus, then you've got some idols in your heart. We don't want to worship anything other than Jesus. And so this inheritance is a beautiful thing, but there is a clause in receiving it. Does anybody know what the clause is to receive this inheritance? There's an if statement there. If, if we suffer with him. 
if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together with him. You know, Jesus was glorified. When he rose from the dead and he ascended into heaven, he was received into the heavenlies and he sat down at the right hand of God. No doubt some awesome, amazing homecoming ceremony took place as his triumphal entry into the heavens came about. You know, that was awesome. He was glorified. But before he was glorified, what happened? He suffered. And he says, you know what? A disciple is not above his master. You know, they, they called the master Beelzebub. What do you think they're going to call you? Paul tells Timothy, all those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. But even in light of the gospel, suffering is good. And God's working about something through suffering. An eternal weight of glory we read later on. And we're going to come back in the weeks to come and we're going to look at not only are we sons in the spirit, but we suffer and dare I say we get to suffer with the spirit of God. And we have splendor with the spirit. We're glorified with the spirit. And so we're going to end there today and Stuart can come on up. In the weeks to come, we'll, you know, dive into how is it possible that suffering can be good news. We want the inheritance, but we don't want the suffering. We want the gain, but we don't want the pain. We want the crown, but we don't want the cross. You can't separate them. And you know, I just really wish that we had time to get into the section dealing with suffering here. I know that you guys are suffering in, in just so many ways. I mean, just even trying to just write a list in the last few days, like how are people suffering in Prineville? How are people suffering in our church? And I know there's cancer and sickness and, you know, betrayal and divorce and, you know, people even giving themselves diabetic insulin shots every day and, you know, oh, there's heartache and loss of pets and loss of loved ones and um, headaches constantly and, you know, the heat, you know, you don't have air conditioning and you're just trying to use a piece of paper to cool yourself. And there's just suffering of so many different kinds. Persecution. And you know what? God wants to use it all for glory. And we're going to study that in the weeks to come. But in the meantime, as we've had this good news that by grace we can be sons and daughters, children of God, it shows us how much he loves us, then man, in his sovereignty, as he allows us to go through trials and suffering of so many kinds, pain, the biggest pains, now we know we're loved. We know he's there to comfort us. And we can cry out to him, Abba, Father, this hurts, Lord, hold me. Lord, you know my sin. Father, you know my sin. Like a kid coming to their dad. Dad, you know how you told me not to have anyone over last night? I had someone over. 
There's correction. It's loving. There's correction. But there's restoration. Lord, I blew it. Father, I blew it. As we come to the table today, and we take the cup, and we take the bread, and we consider, and we remember just the blood that was shed and the body that was broken, let's come to the Father who gave his only Son, that as his blood is shed, it provides not only a covering for our sin, but a removal of our sin. And let's thank our Father for killing his son, for sacrificing his son, that not only can we be forgiven, but we can be adopted by the blood. We can be given an inheritance because of the blood. And we thank Jesus for sharing the inheritance he earned with us. Let's thank him. If you are not a Christian today, you weren't when you came through the doors, the good news for you today is that there's an adoption ceremony taking place here. And just in your heart, you can just respond to God. Like we read in John 1, 12. Those that would receive him, those he granted the rights to be sons and daughters of God. Receive him. Revelation, Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and I will dine with him. If you hear him knocking on the door of your heart saying, Man, lay it down. Lay down this sin. Lay down yourself and receive what I've done for you. Rest in what I've done for you. You'll be forgiven right here. You'll be adopted right here. And you'll just even begin to start getting the inheritance. Let's worship Jesus. Let's close in communion. And let's just really direct our worship and our praise, not towards a Lord at the moment. Yes, he is Lord. But let's just... Let's cry out to him as children to their father. Amen. You've been listening to Pastor Rory Rogers, pastor of Calvary Chapel of Crook County, located in Primeville, Oregon. For more information on this ministry, or if you'd like to contribute, please feel free to write us at P.O. Box 378, Primeville, Oregon 97754. Or check us out further at our website at www.calvarycrookcounty.com. We thank you so much for listening, and we pray that this ministry has blessed you.